<laughs> oh, God. Oh, shit. It took me longer than it should have to get that one. Jesus. Number six. Number, I'm not proud of that. Uh, it's number six. Uh, six one, Smile six. on your face, Patrice. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very proud, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I was. I was. I'm sorry. Another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. Our 200th episode is now behind us, and we can now focus on producing another stellar, argument-filled, friendship-ending 200 episodes. So, if you hey. haven't, <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to end some friendships. Now, if you haven't checked out our 200th episode special review of No Time to Die, please do so. It is rather good, if I do say so myself. And if you are a fan of this particular podcast and would like to take a stroll down memory lane and be reminded of some of the colourful, to say the least, and elaborate insults we've called each other over the past 200 episodes, then check out our 200 episode quiz. So, as I said, we are starting a new era now and the film that has the honour of leading us into our new chapter is what some critics have called the best third film in a series based on or featuring a board game. Uh, it may <laughs> be the only third film in a series based on or featuring a board game, but that is not the point. If you hadn't guessed by now, today's film on trial is Jumanji 3, The Next Level. Is it Welcome to the Jungle or is it You're Gonna Die? <laughs> no? No. <laughs> No. Dave knows what about. I know I what see. you're on about. You need to get that that high pitched squeal to those lyrics, man. <laughs> What's he on about, Dave? Ah, well, welcome welcome to the show. Axel Rose. Sorry. Come on. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's it's also what Axel Rose. What did he say? It's the first thing that somebody said to him when he arrived in LA. You're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, essentially, we're gonna find out if this film will be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list. Now, before we go on, our last film on trial was our special 200th episode review of No Time to Die. Alex judged that trial and deemed that it should be placed on the shit list. He has since gone away and he's watched the film, so did he make the right call or not? Hang on. First, just to say, there's probably going to be some spoilers here, so if you haven't seen No Time to Die yet, put your fingers in your ears for the next two minutes. Alex? Yeah, I... Uh... Take your, take your fingers out your ears. I didn't watch it. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was really busy, right? And it did sound shit. And it was just the fact that it, it did sound shit. I'm sorry. And it was just three hours. And the, the main thing that kept coming back to me was nanobots and three hours. Fucking nanobots and three hours. And I know I just couldn't. You said some really lovely things about it. And it did make me want to go and see it. But every time I was like, should I book my ticket? I'm pretty tired. It was like, no, it's three hours and it's about fucking nanobots. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't Alex, bring myself like the, to the do way it. You I'm, act, I'm sorry, guys. I know. But, but, but the way you act, it's like James Bond has never had a bonkers plot. You know, you're like, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's so I, I, okay. Alex hasn't watched it. I, I'll let you off, man. You know, I, I never got around to watching Tree of Life for the same reason. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> me and you are even on that one. Now, okay, now, uh, Joel, I uh, know Joel, sorry, uh, Ozzy and Dave. Do you think he made the right call? Yes or no? No, he completely the wrong call. It's a great call. <laughs> I, I think Dave? he made the right call. Ooh. I think he made the right call. I, I honestly believe, I think it's trying to have its cake and eat it. Like we said, I'll go into greater depth on this on the episode. I think it's trying to be bonkers and daft with its plot and elements like that. But at the same time, it's trying to be so serious and so dour. And, and uh, it's it's trying to be a Bond film and get away with things that you allow a Bond film to get away with. And at the same time, flip and reverse exactly what a Bond film is meant to be in the first place. It, you can't have both. So it's just a bit of a jumble film. And I think the elements of the film are actually quite weak. When you break it down, mm. I think this will just be remembered for the film that, spoiler alert, fingers in ears, the film that they finally killed Bond in. That's all this will be remembered for. The actual, and they they dined out on that with uh, the actual film. The plot's not good enough. The villain's not good enough. The elements just aren't there. Well, I disagree. <laughs> and I would like to make a formal complaint. The judge. To, who, to the judge. Wait, to, to me or to... the wait, The judge asked many questions, mainly about the plot, which granted is bonkers. And because it's quite bonkers, we spent a lot of time discussing it. The judge also asked questions about the fate and the future of the Bond franchise. So it was quite a surprise when the judge final verdict was made mainly based on things that we hadn't discussed or discussed in much detail, like action in the score. Who are you making this complaint to? It's not like we have a Supreme Court in the yeah, films well, of France. Well, you know? well, there's, no one, well, there's no one above me. I no am the judge. Appeal. <laughs> well, I am starting the very lengthy and complicated appeals process as we speak. I have a hotshot team of experts, including Big Dave and Mike, who are working around the clock between the hours of 5 p.m. and 5.20 p.m. to pull Look. together an appeal, which will be submitted. Which the, submitted. Next submitted Winston, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the next time we go on our lads' holiday, the next time we go on our lads' holiday, we'll have to just thrash out some sort of long arbitration appeals ombudsman <laughs> process that we can oh, make There sure will be a lot of thrashing out, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> now, <laughs> on to the trial. All of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random, so acting in defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list will be a man who can sink my battleship any day of the week. It's Dave. Hey. <laughs> and joining him will be a man who's had more fingers inside of him than a game of operation. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I'm talking about my many medical procedures, you filthy men. Get your gutters out of the minds. Get your gutters out of the minds. Get your minds out of the gutters. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Now, acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be somebody who shouldn't pass go, shouldn't collect $200, and should probably go straight to jail. It's Alex. Now, just like real court advocates... You'd know about that, Gav, wouldn't you? <laughs> now, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though, so stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. And in the role of the judge who has to decide which list the film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him, and not using his own opinion, will be a man who literally looks like a character from Guess Who. It's Ozzy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was either that, or do you remember that game where you used to have just like a bald man, and you had all those magnetic strips, and you could put like hair or a beard on him? What was that <laughs> game called? <laughs> no idea, Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> 
No, no, no. I'll figure it out. Uh, answer Santa postcards to all the listeners out there. If you know what that weird game was called that I think Ozzy looks a bit like, please get in touch. Anyway, before we get started, I think we should probably give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the Wheel of Impressions. That was completely silent. I think I think he's run out. I think the, uh, the, the farmer has given up the ghost. But it has landed on Joel. Uh, but Joel's not here, so I'm going to say that that's landed on the judge, which is Ozzy. So how would we like Ozzy to read out the synopsis? What we do here is we read out the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. I think... Uh, yeah. Maybe everybody does a Danny DeVito impression in the film. I, I would happily agree with that, yeah. I, I was thinking Danny DeVito or Nigel Billingsley would have been... Either of those would be my choice. Ozzy, yeah, it's up to you, man. Whichever one you feel most comfortable with. Actually, whichever one you feel least comfortable with would be my <laughs> guess. I'm going to try the Danny DeVito. Sweet. He's quite, what's it, like, New York-y? Like... New York-y horse, sort of. When, when... When Spencer goes back into the fantastical world of Jumanji, pals Thurfridge and Bethany re-enter the game to bring him home. But everything about Jumanji is about to change as they soon discover more obstacles and more danger to overcome. I feel like you identified that he was from New York and then you just did a, a cowboy. <laughs> oh, howdy. Oh, Lord. I really like how your your enthusiasm and volume both grew as the impression went on. As with Danny DeVito. In yeah, 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 yeah. I was, I think I captured the character, but not necessarily the voice. <laughs> I was thinking of um, the little goat man from um, from Hercules. That's it. That's him, isn't he? I think it is. That is Danny DeVito. Yeah, yeah. Well done, man. You got it right for once. Okay. Uh, well, kicking off then, Nazi. Would you like to please kick off proceedings? Um, well, I mean, I'm obviously familiar with Jumanji, <laughs> and I'm familiar with the two Jumanji, the one where it's the video game. So I assume this is the sequel to that. So. Um, so defense, please fill me in. Where, where does it where does it start off? And then just give me a bit of a premise. Yeah, I assume it's the same story over again. Uh, I mean, yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's the third Great. film. Prosecution. In the... <laughs> 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 you know, yeah, fill me in. What's the what's the the overall premise? Yeah, yeah. So so it's it's basically it picks up following the events of Jumanji two. Fast forward a year, everybody has graduated from high school and they're still trying to keep in touch. Spencer. Is really struggling in college though, and after speaking to his grandpa Eddie, played by Danny DeVito, he, he who tells him getting old is really rubbish and high school is the greatest time of your life. Spencer decides to go back into the game, so the rest of the gang venture back into the game to rescue him. They accidentally take Grandpa Eddie and his elderly acquaintance Milo, played by Danny Glover, with them, and cue more hilariousness as Eddie's avatar is Dr. Bravestone, as in <laughs> the, the Rock, Dwayne Johnson, and Milo's is Mouse, as in Kevin Hart. The group are told that they need to retrieve a rare gem from Jürgen the Brutal, and similar to last time, they only have X amount of days to do so, or they're going to be trapped in the game forever. And once again, if their avatar dies three times, it's game over, and you die in the real world too. So there's a number of like action set pieces. The group are chased by ostriches. They have to cross treacherous rope bridges. They're attacked by mandrills. 
We find out that Eddie and Milo have not spoken for years after Milo abandons their joint restaurants, Nora's. We then have a nice reconciliation later on when Eddie finds out that Milo is terminally ill. New avatars are introduced, a cat burglar called Ming Fleetfoot, played by Aquafina, and a horse called Cyclone. There are great action set pieces in Jürgen's Mountain Fortress and a final battle on the villain's Zephyr. And then they win the game. Yeah, Milo decides to stay behind and live his life in the game and the gang go for a meal at Nora's. And as the film ends, a repairman arrives at Spencer's house to fix the basement heater. And then the next scene, we see a herd of ostriches stampede past Nora's, signaling that Jumanji has once again escaped from the game and potentially a sequel is coming so, yeah, it's it's just a very fun film. It's as fun as its predecessor, and it isn't exclusionary in any way as well. You don't have, have to have seen either of the previous two films to enjoy this. The action is impressive and plentiful. The locations and the set designs are very beautiful and imaginative. The script is tight. The dialogue's very funny. But the best part of the film for me is the comedy, specifically that of Johnson, Hart, Jack Black, and Karen Gillan, who play a variety of different characters including those of Danny's DeVito and Glover. It's an entertaining blockbuster film that all of the family can enjoy, even Alex. And with, I, I beg like to disagree. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Dave, is oh, a film that Alex could, could enjoy? <laughs> can I no, enjoy it? I just named something that I can enjoy, Any, anything. <laughs> I go on, Alex, I, I believe you want to come back against that. Yeah, you know, I, I'm i going to say, obviously, I love the first Jumanji. I find hard to say that this is Jumanji 3. I feel like this is Jumanji 2, because I know it's a board game, but it just doesn't feel like either of them had anything to do with that first film. But, that, you know, that's fine. I really like Jumanji 2. I thought it was an interesting way of rebooting it and sort of making it a new, a fresh thing. But this one just feels lazy. It just feels like a re-return to it, and it just feels like it's hanging on the coattails of the first one. The, co- the first one had an original idea, making it into kind of a video game thing, you know, the, the idea of lives, putting these people into different bodies. That was a great film. It was fantastic. They ended it really well by smashing up the console, which I thought was quite a funny way of ending it. But obviously, money is money, isn't it? And so they made this film, and that is why they made this film. It's just it's just quite a weak film. I just don't feel like it has... It didn't have the kind of the character-driven part that the first film had. So the first film had that sort of interesting dynamic between the different the four characters this is quite messy it's got the the character you know is it spencer who's struggling at college that's just a very weak setup for the characters very weak reason for him to go back into the film it's just not done very well i thought it was initially interesting so i'm like oh they've grown up but it's just not it doesn't really it doesn't land itself really it just doesn't really do it properly and then you've got this really weird thing where you've got like danny devito and danny glover the two 80s dannys who just sort of turn up and you're like, right, okay, they're, they're there. And then you have this whole other subplot where it's about them having... So you're never really sure in this film where you're at, like what you're watching. You're watching Spencer sort of deal with his college. Not really, not really. And then you're watching these two people who used to, you know, these two restaurateurs sort out their problems from that. Well, not really either, you know, because you you got CGI ostriches flying past your face half the time. It's... It's what made the first film good. What made, you know, Gav had that word where he said it was a tight script. And that first film was a tight script. This isn't. This is a bit sloppy. It's, uh, it's tried to think about what made the first film good. And just on that tired old thing, it's just plopped a lot more in it with a lot less thought. And it's just, just not as interesting. Gav said there's a variety of characters. There's just too many weak characters. It's, it's all... It, what you liked about the first film 
is being watered down. So you've got like a nice, you know, you've got a nice strong glass of Ribena in the first film. (laughs) And in this film, you've got the same amount of Ribena concentrate, but the glass is like 10 times as big. So it's like, you've still got some of that feeling, that Ribena taste. I'm not saying it's gone completely, but it's not satisfying. You've got more of it and you just wish you had a little less. It was a bit better done. Yeah, some people like weak fried beaners, Alex. Yeah, those people, I don't respect them, Kath. <laughs> <laughs> a weak constitution. And so, you mean, so I'll, I'll let you come back at that a bit if you want, uh, Gav. Is that it, Alex is actually saying that, well, it, yeah, it's got, it's got, you know, a little reminiscent of what was good about the last one. So it sounds almost as though it's a, a bit of a paint by numbers, you know, a little bit lazy. It's just a, a carbon copy of what was a masterpiece. I'm sure that's what he said. No, yeah. that's, that's a bit it. better than I did. Well done. Well done. <laughs> I, I, I thought that this was really good with regards to character building. You know, I think that there is a good amount of character growth here. What I liked in the first film, there was quite a lot of action set pieces here. There's still like that big spectacle. You know, you're watching a big blockbuster Hollywood action film. But there's a lot of talking. There's a lot of development in between those scenes. We have the four kids. There's a bit of infighting between them. And then, you know, towards the end, what they remember what made them all friends again and they get back together. Then Spencer and Martha, who got together at the, at the end of the first film, right at the beginning of this film, Spencer's having a really difficult time and he calls things off with Martha once again. As the film goes on, they rebuild this relationship. They remember, you know, why they fell in love in the first instance. And Eddie and Milo, once again, they hadn't been speaking for decades because Milo had retired and abandoned the restaurant venture. Here, we find out that Milo's terminally ill and they put their differences aside and they decide to, you know, like bury the hatchet. I think it's just, it's it's very good, to be honest. I, I, I don't know. I, I think, it, if anything, it does a better job with, with the characters the than the last one did. Does it capture the emotion of those those things, do you think? Um, they're quite, you know, they're quite big uh, scenes, I guess, to try and portray and, and big feelings to portray. Do, do they, you know, they capture that too? Like what Alex said there is, a, do you get enough time, enough screen time of those relationships to to feel like they, they develop, uh, Gav? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that, contrary to what Alex was saying, I thought that it had a lot more depth than I expected I mean, the first, well, the first sequel, Jumanji 2, whatever, it made, I think, close to $1 billion at the international uh, box office. So they were always going to do a sequel. I think Dwayne Johnson, like, pushed back a lot of his film schedule just so we could prioritize this one because it was so popular. And I sort of expected it to be more of the same. I, I, you know, it, it, isn't, it isn't as lazy as, hey, look, it's under siege again, but this time it's on a train. It starts with Spencer, who, as I said, suffering really badly with depression. So it goes into a lot more depth than I was expecting. Uh, you know, not only does he not like his life, but he has tasted what it's like to be in this exotic and exhilarating video game as this prototype action hero. And it's making his depression even worse because he knows what that's like. Nothing could live up to, to what he experienced in Jumanji, which I thought was a really interesting concept and a good way to get him back into the game. It's just like he can't deal with his, his ordinary boring life now. He wants to relive, even though it was very dangerous. And then there's the Grandpa Eddie bit where he believes he's wasted part of his life he hates growing old the film asks if you could would you want to live forever as a young character in a game and he finally comes to the decision that his he appreciates his life and his family and that growing old is a gift that not everybody is given uh so 
Go on, Alex. That's a great, great what, character. What I don't understand is why the th why those two stories. You got those two very different stories, and I don't know why they don't link. I really, and maybe they do, but I just it went right past me. I don't know why you've got these two completely separate stories. It's a big sell, right? To have, I think the film would have been better if it focused solely on. Danny DeVito and Danny Glover owning a restaurant in this small town. Do you know what I mean? That It's like, that's a hard sell anyway, because I'm like, what? Danny DeVito and Danny Glover had a restaurant. I, I don't really, you know that what I mean? That sounds it's amazing. Going, it does, but it doesn't, you know what I mean? I don't really believe that they do because the film spends no time, apart from like a little picture of him in a restaurant doing a thumbs up. The film doesn't really spend any time because it's a fun film where you're running around watching ostriches fly around and, jumping up on things and something like that. So I think Gav's not quite, when he's saying that it looks into these themes in a deep way, it doesn't have time. The film just doesn't have time because it's it's an action film and it's trying to do this visual CGI fair. And so I don't know why it didn't mix these two stories together. I don't know why it didn't have the, the issues that Dan, you know, that the, the granddad's having about growing older and sort of losing touch with people. That quite easily links in with Spencer and losing touch with his friends. But instead, you have these weird disjointed things and it just goes bonkers. It's not deep and meaningful. The end of a story, I'll stop talking now. At the end of a story with <laughs> Danny Glover is Danny Glover becomes the horse who's the character in, right? Becomes a Pegasus and flies away into Jumanji, right? And that is just fucking bonkers, right? That is just bonkers. And I just, it, the film just didn't really... It, it didn't really, it was taking itself really seriously. Everyone was kind of like dewy-eyed looking at it. No one was going like, what? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's a funny <laughs> bit. But the film is taking itself a little too seriously. So it's, again, it's it's trying to go for the sad stuff, but you just don't feel sad watching it. Uh, Dave, the, uh, the symbolism obviously was lost on Alex. What about mm -hmm. uh, you? Did you? I'm joking, mate. Um, uh, it's metaphorical. <laughs> what is the horse? <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of big points being raised here, but one, one of the ones which you know we've not really touched upon just yet was is the action. You know, we it's an action film. Mm -hmm. How is it in here? You know, the first film was incredible. The second film even better in terms mm -hmm. of action. What about this one? You know, we got the rock at the top of his game. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's not it's not all the reliance on The Rock, though. I think there are some great action set pieces in here. But remember, for the first half of the film, he's got Danny DeVito inside that avatar. So he's a bit, although he is still uh, capable and like an incredibly strong uh, fighter that can handle himself, he's he's got a cantankerous old man within him who doesn't really <laughs> know how to use this avatar or play the game to the best of his ability. Cue him starting a street brawl with, with some guy. <laughs> Because it's an, an NPC and he just keeps saying the same thing to him. So he gets annoyed, punches him through a wall and ends up beating up 50 like AI NPCs in this street scene. And it's, it's a great action sequence. You know, The Rock is at the top of his game in this, but it's absolutely ridiculous. And, but in, in the best possible way. Other great action set pieces, Gav's already referenced. Um, you got the, the Doom Buggy chase where they're being pursued by these lethal looking ostriches you never thought an ostrich could look so dangerous uh you got the the rope bridge pursuit where they were attacked by mandrels you got these fights in jürgen's fortress uh yeah there's some fantastic action set, uh, set pieces along the way you made a good point there actually which i'll throw back to alex in a second but uh, and i think alex mentioned it, actually that this character swapping thing mm -hmm. so so obviously in the last one spencer was dr brave Stone. yes mm -hmm. yes 
So this time around, it's actually it's Danny DeVito. How does yeah. how does the how does Dwayne how does the Rock cope with that? You know, being somebody different. How does everybody cope with that? Well, brilliantly, I have to say, not everyone lands in in the wrong. I'm going to call them the wrong avatar. You know, because yeah. you expect Spencer to be Doctor Bravestone. Uh, but there is one one key point I have to point out about this film. Um, there is there's waters in Jumanji, certain kinds of waters that allow you to transfer your avatar. So you can become someone else. So it's not just that uh, Danny DeVito's character, Eddie, is stuck in Smolder Bravestone throughout the film. They do find a way to switch so that Spencer, who, let's be honest, is better at being Bravestone than Eddie, uh, gets to take that role. Uh, and that's why Milo, who was um, in um, Mouse, um, yeah. Kevin Hart's character, gets to switch to the winged horse cyclone towards the end. So you got throughout the film, although they're mostly one character throughout, they do switch at points. So you've not just got the actors giving a performance like The Rock just doing a Danny DeVito impression. He also gets to go back to Spencer. And you get uh, Jack Black, who is, for the most of the film, got Fridge within him. And then he switches back to Bethany, as he was in the first mm-hmm. film. So, you know, you've got them changing and giving versatile performances throughout. You know, they've got to change their range on this one. You know, they change their accent to suit the act- accent of their actual real-life counterparts. And they just try and cap- capture some of the mannerisms. And they all do it really well. Yeah, uh, Alex. Everybody, everybody copes pretty well. There's a real uh, a, a range of acting on show there, you know. And that's a um, you, you're one who's you know not shy, not shy of uh, dissing the rock and his acting abilities. But it sounds like and, and Dave's been been a, a big critic critic of the rock's acting as well. But here it's he's suggesting that I, he's I'm just really a come age. He's come of age. <laughs> I, <laughs> I I I like the rock. In the in that first Juman, in his first Jumanji film, because I thought he was an interesting Spencer. I thought you know that bit where he's going like "Don't cry, don't cry, don't cry," you know, before it. I, was, I thought that was a really funny bit, and I thought is the idea of him playing like a weedy teenager is really interesting, and it is. So when they're playing those unknown characters, it's good. But The Rock spends a lot, a large part of the film, and the hook of the film, doing a Danny DeVito impression which I found annoying. I mean, and that is certainly up to opinion, I'm sure. I found it annoying. I found the limit of most, and Alcofina does a Danny DeVito impression at one point as well. Everyone, they just seem to go, ha, all the time as Danny DeVito. So they're just talking, they go, ha, ha, ha. And like, you are after a while, like, God, that is not Danny DeVito. Do you know what I mean? Like that is, I I don't think that's a good Danny DeVito impression. And the problem is, Right, and maybe you know, maybe you would enjoy that or something like that. But you're watching it very aware that you are watching The Rock do a Danny DeVito impression, or Aquafina do a Danny DeVito impression, or Kevin Hart, who's just a fantastic Danny Glover impression. He's brilliant. He's spot on. But you're just watching it, going like, "Wow, Kevin Hart's good at doing a Danny Glover impression." Not thinking, "Wow, that is the character inhabiting that body." So I found it a little wall breaking a bit. The fact that. You're just watching because Danny Glover and Danny DeVito are such well-known characters with very much their own styles. You are just watching people do impressions. Whereas what worked in the first film was you had unknown ones and you could just inhabit the role of an awkward teenager or a cheerleader or a sort of a jock. So, um, it was, so I found it a bit It wasn't necessarily an impression last time round. It, was no, it wasn't. It was because you didn't know these people. They were unknowns and that's why it worked. Whereas this time... Yeah, I found the Danny DeVito impressions very annoying. And Dave, was the Rock's Danny DeVito good? 
Good one. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, yeah, there is that. I know what Alex is saying when he makes that ha noise. Yeah, there, there is a bit of that going on. But that and that doesn't say Danny DeVito to me, but it does say Eddie Gilpin, the character that Danny mm-hmm. DeVito is playing. <laughs> yeah. You know, he is kind of a caricatured version of himself, you know, almost more akin to, to Frank from Always Sunny. You know, he's more cantankerous <laughs> and more, you know, uh, disagreeable than the actual Danny DeVito person is, you know, rather than this is a character. Do you not wish he was doing more cocaine and had a gun a bit? A little bit. I know, that would have been, oh, maybe, maybe in the next one. You never know. Um, but I do think, yeah, I think uh, Kevin Hart's, uh, can't really call it a Danny Glover impression. It's a Milo Walker impression, Danny Glover's character. And Milo Walker is just, he's one of the best comic creations, I think, of the last couple of years. It's just this amenable, kind-hearted, older gentleman, but God, he rambles on. <laughs> and he just gets lost in the point, and it's just like cue a lot of them like having to remind him. There's like you're a zoologist; it's important as an animal's like bearing down on them. It's like get to the point, come on, talk faster. <laughs> and it's just cue this great bit where um, the the rock actually loses one of his lives, Eddie, uh, by kind of trying to shoo away an ostrich, only to be killed by it and pecked to death. Which <laughs> Milo screaming, going, "Did I just kill Eddie?" By talking too slow, like he always said I would. <laughs> it's, little, it's little lines like that that just hint at their relationship. Yeah. And because, you know, it's not that they just lost touch, they actively fell out. Milo, knowing that he's dying, you find that out later in the film, has gone to see Eddie to try and make amends before he's gone. Eddie doesn't want to know, and he's antagonizing him. And it is this old bickering between old friends, especially as Milo starts to tire of Eddie's attitude towards him and things. There's a great relationship between the two and, and on display through, you know, we know the rock and Kevin Hart work well together, you know, and they, they were the perfect actors to kind of portray this relationship uh, as these uh, older men's avatars. And, you know, you really comes across this relationship that they had, that they know each other inside and out. They know ex- exactly how to push buttons and get responses from each other and how to upset each other. But they were firm friends at one point and that affection starts to build as they get to know each other again through this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex, anything to, to come back on that one, or should we move on to something else like the CGI or you well, know, yeah, lot- you know, just just talking. You know, Dave was talking earlier about the action. The only point I wanted to say about that is I would agree some of the fight sequences are, are pretty good. You know, they've spent the money wisely. I would say you know, there's bits where the rocks punching and they sort of fly back and stuff like that, and it is video game-ish and it, and it is well done there are certain points a bit like the road bridge bit where I, and the mandrills bit where i thought that was a bit cgi heavy and there's a bit towards the end the finale again thinking of free guy where they're on a zeppelin and they're all just floating around and, it, and it's a little bit like mm, I, I, you know what i mean this 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 just isn't, isn't happening uh but yeah i mean i i wouldn't i wouldn't ha- i wouldn't hang my i wouldn't my problem wasn't wow the cga was cgi wasn't cut yeah. off yeah. It, it is really a, a believability of the story or a, a focus within Yeah, and it's a video game, so you can sort of... The, my problem would be a bit, if we're talking about story, is it is a little bit of having your cake and eating it with the video game side of things. I think they get a little lazy at times. So the story is about a MacGuffin. It's, and, you know, fair enough, because games are as well, but they're trying to get the jewel of blah, 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 because they need to do this blah, 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 and then you shout out the name. A bit like the first film, you know what I mean? And that's... That's a game. It's also a really boring plot device. You know what I mean? It's a bit like, right, yeah, it's a video game, but it's quite boring. And it's hugely CGI'd because it's a video game, but it's also hugely CGI'd. So at times you're a bit like, I don't know, I I think like they rested a bit on it just being a simple video game plot. And I I don't know, I I found it a bit disinteresting at times. 
Gaff, uh, I mean, a very quick, quick wrap, wrap up on the, the action there and the CGI, just the, the way it's used. Yeah, I mean, I think with this type of film, you're going to expect a heavy amount of CGI. And I think, as Alex said, I think they spent their money wisely. With regards to the action set pieces, I can kind of understand what Alex is saying. I think the end it is a bit like sort of Free Guy and a lot of other sort of Marvel MCU type films in that. I, I do often think sometimes when I'm watching it, I would have loved to have just seen a more practical side of this. It didn't have to be in a giant zephyr that's like fallen, you know, crashing to the earth. You know, like Karen Gillan's having that fight in that scene. Yeah, yeah it's really that's interesting. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that's good. Yeah, yeah. And the yeah. music comes on and it's sort of a callback to the first film. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. And then you go yeah. from that to... Yeah, but if I may, that wraps up pretty quickly. Yeah. The pacing of this film is superb. You got that final fight with Jurgen, and it is just to defeat Jurgen and get the jewel, and it's over in, over in like a minute, under yeah. a minute actually. It's like there's no point to, to stretching this out. It keeps yeah. the pacing going. Yeah, I, t- I, I, I was just going to say exactly what I Dave said. I stand by my point of. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know today. I mean, I find it difficult to spell, but I have no. Right. I would say a little bit about the the comedy. I think there is a very funny script, and I think Dave hit the nail on the head there when he's talking about the interactions between characters. I think that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. As Dave said, we already know that The Rock. Uh, Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart work wonders together. This is their fifth, uh, sorry, fourth collaboration. And you can just tell that they really enjoy working with each other. You can tell that they're absolutely having a blast doing this. And what is also good is that not only have you got their banter between themselves, you've also got the characters of Eddie and Milo bantering between themselves as well. And it just works very, very well in my eyes. Dave mentioned a, a funny point before. I, lo- I love how they essentially they are playing characteristics but what i'd like is that it's they're not just stereotypes it's nice to see that there's some well-rounded and well-written characters behind them performed by some excellent actors it could have very well been like oh look here's another stereotype of you know x character or whatever but it wasn't it was about the characteristics of the individuals there's there's a bit where um like they're talking about the rules of the game so it's essentially if you haven't seen the second one they give you like a brief recap of what the game is about so they go into details about what jumanji is and then eddie as bravestone is like who is jumanji and the mouse is like is that barbara's boy (laughs) if i was listening correctly i believe (laughs) that is her sister (laughs) it's just it's just very funny and uh, I, i really love jack black as well i think he's one of the the best like comic performers of, of this generation to be honest and he is just fantastic in this film and uh, both playing initially fridge uh, like when he first <laughs> fridge first gets him as an avatar he's like no 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 i'm the old fat dude <laughs> 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 at least last time i was black <laughs> <laughs> and then later on he plays bethany again uh, and you know he just he just does a great job he's he's, he's very versatile is is jack black and yeah, I, th- I think the the comedy throughout was was amazing. But I think it's more about the performers, uh, um, uh, you know, and, and their characterizations as well that really brought a lot of fun to this script. Uh, Alex, the characterizations, the actual—I mean—strikes me that a big part of the comedy is the way the actors portray the the, the you know the, as an avatar that they're portraying the character that's playing them. It, you know, how, how how does that come across? How does how is the script? How is the to the jokes land? Um, I think there's the, the script's 
okay. I don't think it's as good as the first one again. I think, you know, if you're watching, if you, obviously you probably watched the first one if you're watching this one. And I think you'd be, I was a bit disappointed because I thought the first script was pretty tight. And there's no bits, you know, like about the cake in the first film or something like that. There's callbacks to the cake that are a bit lazy. There's a few lazy callbacks. You can forgive it a little bit on that. But, you know, the, it, it's it, it's not um, it's not fantastic. But I would say maybe the, the problem, you know, Gav was talking a bit about stereotypes. I would say maybe sometimes there are a couple of little stereotypes in there, especially about the elder people who can't play video games and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say it maybe backs it up, you know, does does back up a few little stereotypes, not bad ones, but a few ones. The problem with me for, you know, they were saying about the performances lead this. And I think they are good performances, but you do have, they, they've done the thing where they've just, everyone's changing characters all the time you have these very convenient little lightning waters which do a job for the plot i understand you know i, I don't really care too much about that but it just keeps happening where they change characters and i think it's too much it just happens too much where it, whereas at the end you've got kind of a headache you're like so who's the horse do you know what i mean like you know danny glover's the horse who is the horse he's the one who had the restaurant with the it's very hard to follow and again i just think it breaks the the sort of the the suspend the suspension of disbelief because you're just kind of watching going like oh jack black's a really good actor he can do that impression of that character and that impression of that character and now he's that character and 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 the last thing i'll say is the problem is that the actual ones they're playing so you've got the the main cast who are in the video game and you've got the kind of subcast who they are pretending yeah, to be real life People. The real life ones. Well, the real life ones have been so long ago, but sometimes it's because they're changing around so much. You're like, who is, you know what I mean? Like, who's who again? Like, and who should I care about? What's their thing? It, it's a bit too much and it's a bit too complicated sometimes for just a daft action film yeah. to really be engaged in. So I'm not saying you can't follow it. I'm just saying that maybe if you want to just to like watch, you, you sometimes, you're not invested, you're not immersed in the film because you're very aware of, the actors. Oh, that's fair. And Jack Black's doing a wonderful job, but you're kind of aware that he's doing a wonderful job. So yeah, that's a really good point, Alex. And you just reminded me of something there that actually there's four main characters, like The Rock, uh, Kevin Hart, Jack Black, and um, there's the five characters. Karen Gillan. Four, anyway, four principal Karen ones. Karen Gillan, and then a horse, and uh, some of the guys. One of the Jonas Brothers. Yeah, yeah. And Alcofina. <laughs> but but they they play they're played by people in the the real world in, in essence. Do you, do you get much time to to care for them? You know, do, you, do you, are they interesting at all? Are they acted very well? I assume they're more sort of no name actors, you know, or lesser known actors. For um, <laughs> interestingly enough, I think the four kids who were in the original one, um, I think they were relatively unknown at the time. Not anymore. They've all gotten on to, to bigger things. I think not not just because of Jumanji. I think they made some good choices, you know. But Jumanji did help bring them to, to uh, people's to the forefront of people's minds. Um, so yeah, and I think they are decent actors. You do get to care enough about these characters. Bear in mind, this is a Jumanji film. You know, sooner or later, we want to get into the game. We want to start seeing some action. We want to see The Rock and Kevin Hart. They're the ones who are on the poster. I think it gives you enough time with these actors to care about them. You see, you know, Spencer's interactions with his grandfather and, you know, the both actors play this really well. And of course you remember the, it's the benefit of it being a sequel is that you remember the characters from a previous film. So they don't have to waste too much time introducing you to them, helping you to understand their relationships. If you've seen the previous film, you can hit the ground running really, but just in case you haven't, it'll give you enough to bring you up to speed. And it doesn't waste too much time. I think it just spends a perfect amount of time with the real world 
characters before dropping you into Jumanji and, and introducing you to the avatars again. Yeah, and then, and then with the avatar characters, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, you know Alex touched on that, that sometimes you're brought out of the story because you're watching these very well-known actors just doing impressions of other well-known actors. Does, do they do a good job of acting rather than acting as other people, you know? Oh, I would say so, yeah. I mean, they, they do everything that is required of them. And bear in mind, this isn't an overly dramatic script. You know, this is this is a blockbuster. This is action. This is just an enjoyable family film. And, and it's perfect for that. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't require too much, I think. You know, they've got to look scared. Perfect. They got to look, you know, smoldering intensity. Check. <laughs> they tick all the right boxes, as many as they need to, anyway. Uh, but I think the performances in this are fantastic. It's not just watching well-known actors impersonate other actors. You know, there are characters here, real characters that have been developed, and you know that have backstories and that have relationships going on with the other characters that are explored. And although the characters do switch, you know, these lightning waters that you see throughout, it only happens twice. Uh, one when Fridge and Martha are trying to get the Jumanji berry and Martha falls in the water and they ended up switching, but they switch back at the end of that. It's just a quick scene to introduce you to these waters that can change your avatar. And then everyone, uh, well, not everyone, most people change avatar one more time to get themselves in more appropriate avatar. Because they've got to go in the Jürgen's Fortress. By this point, most people have only got one life left. And it's like, Eddie is not a good Bravestone. Milo should not be the zoologist. He takes too long to get to the point. By the time he gets there, you're dead. So they realize they have to switch avatars. And that it only happens once. So they switch. And bear in mind, they call each other by their actual real-world names. You know, no one calls Karen Gillan's character Ruby. You know, it's Martha throughout. And it's Fridge. And it's, it's Eddie. It's Grandpa Eddie. You know, it's Milo. So you don't lose track. It's not confusing. You know, you can keep an eye on which character is in which avatar. So that's not a problem. And I just like to say the performances are fantastic in this. I think Aquafina is absolute gold yeah. in this film. I thought she was superb. As as Spencer, first of all, you know, kind of as the nervous teenager, as Spencer or Aquafina in Spencer in Aquafina's body says, uh, you know, she's she's small, she's crafty, she's got allergies. She's essentially me. <laughs> so I think she does that perfectly. And then later on she becomes Danny DeVito's uh, character Eddie, which again is is just superb. You she know, does a bit of a hat again. She does, she does. And it's, <laughs> it's clearly a Danny DeVito It thing is no set. perfect. <laughs> it's I, not, I think that's no, the best I'm Danny DeVito impression in the whole film. I think fair. it's superb. So. I think it's great. I'd love to think that Danny DeVito knew they were sending him up like this. Or if he just went to the premiere and was like, I don't sound like that. Why does everyone think I sound like that? <laughs> I, w- I would like to know his thoughts on it. But yeah, Karen Gillan as well. Uh, you know, we know The Rock, Kevin Hart and Jack Black do a lot of comedy. Karen Gillan, we haven't seen as much comedy from her in her film career, but she is on point here. You know, she holds her own against these comedy heavyweights quite easily. You know, she can take this script and mold it around her character as Martha. Again, kind of a nervous teenager as she was in the first one. But, you know, starting to building confidence a bit, starting to become, you know, more the character you expect, you know, Ruby Roundhouse, her avatar to become. So, yeah, as, as actors, I think, you know, we see enough from the real world characters to get to, to care about them and, and want to watch them on this journey. And I think, you know, the avatars, the stars of the show, really, um, although they, I wouldn't say they still focus, but, you know, they are your focal point. Mm-hmm. And I think they are all exceptional, whichever real world character they happen to be playing at any given time. Okay, fair enough. Anything to wrap up with, Alex? Just uh, minor comeback? Or yeah, you... just just that, just that this is just not. I, I just didn't enjoy it. It, it just it's just a watered down version of the film that you did enjoy, and they've just sort of it's just sloppier. It's a bit longer. There's it's it's 
re it repeats in the same way that it shouldn't. So it's just got that really boring MacGuffin with an evil character following it. And then it sort of tweaks things that probably shouldn't be tweaked and it and just and just isn't particularly interesting. I just think the fact that the characters are constantly playing actors that you know, I think because do you know what the problem is? Nothing's better than Danny DeVito, right? You can't beat Danny DeVito. So teasing me with even a very good impression from Aquafina and Dwayne Johnson of Danny DeVito. I just want Danny DeVito in. Why couldn't he be an avatar in it? It'd have been fantastic. So that that was a bit my problem with problem with it. Maybe I just love Danny DeVito too much. But <laughs> the general thing is, it's if you like the first, if you like the first Jumanji, there's possibly enough here to keep you going. But it's thin gruel, and they've been a little bit lazy, I think. And I think if they'd made a tighter script, if they'd made the plot a little bit more linked together, then it would have been a much better film, and they could have done it. But I think it was just a bit like, people watch this film. Let's throw Danny DeVito and Danny Glover in it. Fine, do you know what I mean? We've got them on the books. Let's throw in some loads of CGI and stuff like that, and we'll make it a little bit longer. And I think it's a shame because the first film was such a good one that you could have set up a really good sequel to it. And I just think it's a shame that this is what we got. Okay, fair enough. I was just going to say that like, one thing that I don't think we've covered, but you know, kind of countering what Alex said at the end there is that I, I thought that it worked really well. I liked Danny Glover and Danny DeVito being in this. I love the this, you know, it was it was this big blockbuster film. It was enjoyable, it's funny, it's exciting. But I also loved how inclusive and diverse it was. You know, it's showing that this sort of eighties mentality of action movies just being for men isn't the case these days. The day isn't saved by just one man. It's about a group of friends and relatives who work together to save the day. You know, the, the movie shows us and it allows the audience to get behind a mixture of characters of different ages, races, ethnicities, genders, and even a flying horse, as Alex pointed out. It's a super inclusive film, which is as fun and funny and exciting as any recent blockbuster that we've done on the podcast. And I really enjoyed it. So shove that up your ass. Okay, and on that note, can we have a quiz? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we certainly can. I, I drove myself to madness trying to get this quiz together. I tried to do something different and I ended up falling down a rabbit hole and I may have ended up with another of my own uh, Billy Quid Up or Billy Fuck Ups, but we'll, <laughs> we'll just see how this works out. See. But it, all with an attempt to do something different. I expected there to be four of you. I thought Joel would be here this evening. Unfortunately, he couldn't make it. But I'm going to ask you all to pick an avatar. Uh, oh, one wow. of your key four from Jumanji, either Smolder Bravestone, Mouse Finbar, Ruby Ranhouse, or Shelley Oberon. And I'm going to be asking you questions about films. Don't worry, it's still on film, but in some way relating to your strengths and weaknesses. So I hope you are paying Ooh, attention. Wow. What yeah. a fucking quiz. Yeah, like so um, if, if you can't remember the strengths and weaknesses of one of these avatars, I recommend you don't pick it. Okay. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I can think... I go the zoologist then, Kevin Hart? You can go Mouse Finbar, no problem. I think, uh, I think Ozzy should be uh, Dr. Bravestone. Because okay. I'm wearing a, uh, a turtleneck like the rock. And you're very smoldering. <laughs> and I'll go at Shelley Oberon. I think I remember what his uh, his weaknesses are. No problem. And then I might have Joel would have been Ruby Roundhouse by this logic. So he, I might just let you all. definitely would have picked Ruby Roundhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll let you all buzz in. I'll let you all buzz in. I'll go through the Ruby Roundhouse questions anyway. Okay. So, uh, Ozzy, you may as well go up first. Okay. Which actor plays the leader of a gang of criminals evading capture? In the Sylvester Sloan vehicle, Cliffhanger. Brad Pitt. No, the other guy, nope. the, the little Tom Cruise. 
No, I'm going to let someone steal. Yeah, steal? Yep. John Lithgow. That is a stolen point to Alex. It is John <sighs> Lithgow. And that film is in reference to Smolder Bravestone's skill of climbing. Ozzy, George Digger Harkness goes by which alias in the DC universe? Oh, I, did. I didn't pay much attention to Suicide Squad when I was on there. Sorry, bud. Is there a clue on Gav's wall? Yes, there is. Oh. <laughs> is it the one behind his head or the one? No, nope, the one above head? the door. <laughs> oh, Boomerang. He plays Captain Boomerang. Point to Austin. <laughs> reference. I thought that was a coat hanger. Right over the door. <laughs> Preventing people uh, from getting it. I thought it was to remind you to hang your blazer up once you've finished in, in work. Aussie. Quotes such as pop quiz, asshole, shoot the hostage, and poor people are crazy, Jack. I'm just eccentric. Are from which 90s action film? Die Hard. No. no. It's got great font, Ozzy. It's got fantastic great font. Great fonts. No, Die Hard does as well, but it's what, got, what fantastic. Film? got great Did you say was... Brilliant font. Oh, Best shit. Font. Oh. <laughs> I'll give you a quote. It's also one of, it's also one of Smolder Bravestone's uh, strengths. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, I, have I, have I know I can see it. I can see the fucking the font. Anyone to steal? Speed. Not the rock. It oh, is speed. Okay. Another smaller brace on strength. Speed. Oh. Okay, Ozzy, which martial arts film directed by Ronnie Yu and starring Jet Li depicts a loose adaptation of the life of Hu Wan Yija? No, I'm sorry, guys. I'm like, Not to no. worry, man. Anyone want to steal? Oh, I've got no idea. Kung Fu Hustle. No, oh, the answer uh, is... Oh, Smoldering? Is, oh, that's another No, story. no, the answer is Fearless. The film oh, is Jet Li's Fearless. True. And finally, a weakness, Aussie. In 12 Angry Men, what item is the alleged murder weapon of the trial? Switchblade. It is Switchblade. <laughs> <laughs> Point to Oscar. <laughs> well done. He only had the one weakness, so it's a well played there. Well, okay, good Alex, for... I'm glad yeah. you're enjoying it. I'm glad you, I'm, I tried to do something different, but you know that good. rabbit hole just kept on going. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, you got a Franklin Mouse Fimbas questions. In the movie Congo, Dylan Walsh plays a zoologist. You see the link here, specifically a primatologist trying to return his captive mountain gorilla to a natural habitat. Accompanying him on this expedition is Herkimer Homolka, a Romanian man with a sinister agenda. Which podcast favorite plays Malka? Shit. Oh, shit. This is, a, this is such a good question. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, I know this. Tim Curry. Oh. It is Tim Curry. Wow. Oh, thank God. The reference I, I, being... I couldn't have forgiven myself if I hadn't got that one. <laughs> the reference being Mouse's skill of zoology. Well done. <laughs> uh, in John Wick Chapter 2, the sommelier of the Continental Hotel in Rome supplies Wick with an arsenal of weapons. Which British actor plays the sommelier? Peter Serafinovich. It, it is Peter Serafinovich, and yet relating to his skill of weapons valet. Not quite sure how that's a strength, but okay. <laughs> in Arrival, Amy Adams plays Louise Banks, an expert in which field? Linguistics. It is linguistics, another of his strengths. Well done. Alex is smashing this month. Yeah. In the Grand Budapest Hotel, Gustav has zero smuggled digging tools for his escape from prison inside of what? His rectum. Not a strength or weakness. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> cake. 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 Yeah. It is cake. Who said cake there? Uh, Alex got it. Alex got oh, it. Yeah. It is cake. Well done. 
And finally, in our Raw Deal episode, I gave a quiz on frequent Arnie collaborator Sven Olthorsen, <laughs> who was which country's strongest man in 1983? Uh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I mean, come on. This question. What country was Sven Olthorsen's? <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, frequent wait. collaborator of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Sven sounds uh, like a very uh, uh Norway very or like Finland no. or something. No, Scandinavian. Yeah, Scandinavian. He's a good friend of all Ricky Johnson. Finland, Norway, it's Denmark. Denmark, there you go. Oh, yeah. Not Sweden then, sorry. Which, <laughs> which relates to his weakness of strength, I'm presuming lack thereof. Okay, Gav. Hello. Questions on Shelley Oberon's strengths weakness and weaknesses. Father Lancaster Merrin from The Exorcist, Dr. Elizabeth Shaw from Prometheus, and Dr. Daniel Jackson from Stargate are all experts in which field? Jesus Christ. I don't know. Demonology? Well, say it again. Uh, no. Alex? Oh, it's... Like uh, xenomorphology it's... or something no. like that. No. No, it's, it, it's uh, paleontology, isn't it? Uh, archaeology? Very close. Archaeology. There we go. They are all am I, uh, I, mean, I might be misremembering this, but did you want to be a paleontologist at one point, Dave? When we I would have loved to have been a paleontologist, but then I realised, you know, it's not all Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of handling old bones, which you've got a lot did of experience you, there, is <laughs> there is that. I, I just you, loved dinosaurs as a kid. When did you become disillusioned with paleontology, Dave? Oh, when I was about 12. <laughs> I think it was literally <laughs> the first year. Jurassic Park before. 3. Yeah. Yeah, it's right. not. Well, it's only a you coincidence. Did, you did the maths and realised it's not actually possible to bring, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, to bring it's him true. back. When I realised that, yeah, Michael Crichton saw me up the river on this one. It, it it's all bullshit. Happen. It's not real. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Michael Crichton, Gav, uh, okay. in what field is Jurassic Park's Alan Grant an expert? Jesus Christ, why have I got all the expert questions? <laughs> because uh, you picked Shelley Oberon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Is it a specific type of dinosaur? No, it's what you what you said before archaeology, paleontology. The paleontology. There you go. That is another Shelley O'Brien skills. Okay, this one relates to geometry. That rabbit hole I went down to trying to find a question about geometry. In a beautiful mind, Russell Crowe plays which Nobel Prize winning mathematician? Oh, John. Oh, oh what's his name? John. Are, yes, it is John. Mm, oh no, I can't remember his name. Anyone oh, to steal? Yes. John yeah. Nash. It is John oh, Nash. Shit. I was, the the end. I was like, Noble, John Noble. No, to be honest, John, I didn't have it until he said John. And I was like, oh, yeah, John Nash. Yeah, John, John Noble was Denethor in uh, Return of the King. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, uh, John Nash, well known for his theoretics on differential geometry. There we go. We learned. Ooh. Gav, Natalie Portman played Al Pacino's stepdaughter in which 1995 action crime thriller? Jesus Christ. I don't know. I'm going to say 1995 Heat. It is Heat, one of Shelley Oberon's weaknesses. Well done. <laughs> and finally, this one loosely links to cartography. Okay. In Cuthrow <laughs> Island, where does Morgan's father, Harry, keep his third of the map? <laughs> On his skull? <laughs> It is tattooed to his scalp. I know, right. and she she has to lovingly and sadly scalp him <laughs> yeah, to get it shave off. His head at the beginning of the film. Scalp it, Dad. While he's still alive, you know, he says, "Just shave my head." Uh, <laughs> and finally, do you guys want to do Ruby Roundhouse's questions? Sing as Joel. Oh, Dave, you put so much. This yeah, is a great yeah, quiz. Yeah, yeah. Let's I did do put it. some effort into this. <laughs> okay, Ruby no, Roundhouse. Can you imagine if we just went? No, no. <laughs> no, we've had enough time on this. Uh, Ruby Ran asks his questions. Remember her strengths and weaknesses. Action star Steven Seagal has a seventh Dan black belt in which martial art? 
Bam. That really shit one where you don't really do much. Um, I'm not going to give you it. Aikido. Aikido is correct. Well done, Gav. What do Jean-Claude Van Damme, James Kahn, Dolph Lundgren, Forrest Whitaker, Wesley Snipes, and Elvis Presley all have in common? Oh, if they played a character. They played a character who was in prison? No. 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 Think of Ruby Roundhouse's strengths and weaknesses. Oh, I can't remember. Um, Oh, she uh, goes with her hips. Dancing. That's not a strength or weakness. Dancing. Dance fighting. It's not dance fighting. Um, I, say, uh, I was thinking about Elvis when I said good with the hips, by the way. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I know. <laughs> um, Forrest Whitaker is good with his hips as well. <laughs> uh, they, are all, they all have or had, in the case of Elvis, karate black belts. Karate being another. Of ah. Question three is about dance fighting. And this <laughs> is the closest I could get to a question about dance fighting. West Side Story was nominated for 11 <laughs> Oscars. How many did it actually win? None. Ten. Six. It is ten. Well done, guys. Wow. Straight yeah. out of the gate with that one. Okay, question four. Which of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fights with nunchucks? Bam. Bam. Gav. Oh, shit. No, Donatella? Nope. Oh, Alex, you were next. Raphael? No, Ozzy. <laughs> you got a 50-50 chance. <laughs> And that's not the 50 My process of elimination, it is, in fact, Michelangelo. Trick question, it was Splinter. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, Stan Lee makes a cameo as a dog walker who engages with the protagonist in which Marvel movie? Oh, as a dog walker? Yeah. Is it one one of the Spider-Man films? Mm, Not quite. Iron Man. To no. Ruby Roundhouse's weakness. Oh, I can't remember. I, I can't remember any of her weaknesses. Ant Man and the Wasp. No, unlike it, Venom. Venom is the Venom. Her one Achilles heel. Well played, though, guys. You actually did very well. I'm Dave. I'm, Fantastic, yes. that, was a nice, that was nice. Nice change from. Thank you. I had a I had a quiet yeah. afternoon in work because you can say. Oh, I shouldn't <laughs> say that on the podcast. But um, yeah, well done, guys. You know that no, wasn't no. as bad as I thought. You guys did pretty damn well on that. That, well, that was better than the old cobbled together bollocks we normally do as we're actually doing the episode. So well done. I mean, yeah, I well am done. slightly offended. It took me 24 hours to do last week's quiz. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would say that's the best quiz I've had in a lot. I can't remember the last time we had a better I quiz. think at least in two weeks. I think that's the best quiz of two <laughs> weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most, the most thought and effort put into it by, by a long shot. <laughs> but well done, Alex. Anyway, I think you did a really good job. Yeah, no, no, excellent. That was a great quiz. Well done, everyone. Um, I suppose that leads me to summarise and make judgment. Um, genuinely, I, I, I'm a bit torn based on the arguments there. I felt a little bit sorry for Alec that it was a 2v1, but, you know, what a one. He had a really good, uh, <laughs> valiant, valiant attempt and, and really made me think think twice about where this was going, you know, challenged most of the points. But I think Alex almost shot himself in the foot a little bit in his uh, summary by suggesting that it, it kind of wasn't that bad, and if you enjoyed the first one, then there's probably quite a lot here for you to uh, to, to 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 take out from it. You know, not as good as the first one, but for me, what a you know what a what a take on Jumanji that first uh, rock Jumanji was. So I'm going to put it on the hit list because it's the rock and it's Jumanji, and it's uh, you know even if it was half as good as the first, it's still a hit. So uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for going on the hit list. Thank you very much, guys.
Thank you very much, Ozzy. Well summarised the judgment there. Okay, so genuine opinions then. Alex, I'd like to know what I you... I didn't like it. Thoughts. I just didn't like it. And, like, I, I, can see why, I can see why you would have put it on the hit list based on that. But I think that works against it in a way because I did like the first film. You're kind of watching a slightly bastardised version of something you did enjoy. And it, it, that kind of makes it worse because you're like, oh, this just isn't as good as what I remember. Okay. I, I also understand that I'm joyless and dead inside. <laughs> so that might be that might be my issue coming into Jumanji. But I like the first one, so I don't understand it. If I didn't like either of them, and I was going into this, like, honestly, I saved it. I didn't even look up. Sometimes I look up the Rotten Tomatoes to see if I'm going to enjoy it. I just thought, nah, I'm going to really enjoy this. Just yeah. halfway through, I turned it off. I'd gone and done something else. I came back and put it back on. I, it just wasn't for me. Okay, mature. No, I can understand that. Like, I, I, I am a bit worried for that. But, yeah, so, fair enough. Okay, thank you very much for that, Alex. Uh, Dave, agree, disagree? I love this film. <laughs> I genuinely adore it. I watched it easily more than 20 times. I absolutely wow. adore wow. it. This is just this is that film you put on when you when you don't really want to concentrate. You got something else to do. You just want to put on a film you enjoy and you can quote in the background. And you can just like casually watch. You let like, this is my film. This is my escapism film at the moment. I absolutely love it. I think it's brilliant. I think the script is so sharp and so funny. I think it avoided that sequel fatigue so well by including all these fresh elements and these new characters. Even though mm -hmm. we're keeping the same core cast. They're playing different characters because they're avatars. You know, this franchise has got legs. This can be kept fresh with, with uh, I know Alex referred to like minimal effort, but it is minimal effort to keep this fresh. They're onto something here, really. And I am, I was so happy when I heard they were making a second uh, Dwayne Johnson Jumanji film. And I'm really looking forward to the third one that they're supposedly doing. Uh, genuinely, I think this film is great. It is one of the best blockbusters we've had in the last 10 years. Wow. Dave, rank Jumanji's. From including the first one with Robin Williams. You can't touch the Robin Williams original. Come on. So what, was that first. number one? Of course that is first. That okay. was my childhood, that film. Okay, good day. But then I would say then I would say the next level. I actually think it, it exceeds oh, wow. Welcome to the Jungle for me. I just think there's so many fresh elements and the new additions to the cast. Everything that they've done differently just works mm -hmm. so well. Um, and they kept the same director, the same writers, the yeah. same cast are coming back. You know, it's a team. It's a core team who know how each other work. They really are onto something here. This this could be a good franchise if they keep this going. Well, Dave, I kind of feel bad for not liking it. I kind of. No, wish I, I, your, <laughs> I wish I had your passion. Do you know? <laughs> I, I wish you did too. But no, like, I thought you fought valiantly, though. And you know, you're not the only person who thinks that. I was discussing this with people in work today, uh, just asking them because it's just arrived on Netflix, which is why it's, it's so fortuitous we're doing it now. And yeah, a couple of guys were like, yeah, I didn't like it. And one of the guys was halfway through. He said, "I'm going to finish it tonight." He's like, "Are you enjoying the first half?" He's like, "No." <laughs> not really. It's not as good as the first one. So you're not alone there, Alex. There's a few mm. people that, that don't feel like I do. But personally, I adore this film. But uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say my feelings for were strong as Dave's. I don't think anybody's loved a film in existence <laughs> more than Dave loves this film. <laughs> I did really, really like this film. I was quite genuine with my arguments. I mentioned before, I think it's just a really engaging film. And what I liked about it as well, which sometimes sequels can do, is it doesn't alienate the audience as well. I went to go and see this with my wife, who hadn't seen either of the Jumanji films before. Well, at least I think she'd seen the first one, but like not for years and years and years. But she was able to follow it and she really enjoyed it as well. I think that Dave hit the nail on the head before. Great writer and director, Jack Kazdan. 
uh, and he, he, you know, he goes over some of the ground rules again at the beginning. But this isn't simply just a rehash, as now he's able to expand the scope. He adds new characters, new sets, locations, new rules, including the ability to swap avatars mid-game. I thought, as Dave said, he just kept it really fresh. And one thing as well that Will adds about it, I think I've mentioned this to you in the past. So right at the very end, when Milo makes the decision to stay within Jumanji and, you know, stay on as the horse because he doesn't want to go back to the real world and succumb to his terminal illness. It's a scene in which I genuinely cried over in the cinema. <laughs> wow. and, yeah, I know. And it may, be, and it may not be a massive shock because I cry over everything these days. But watching Jumanji 3 in a packed cinema was, and, and then crying I was, was very, very unexpected for me. I was just like, what the hell is wrong with me? Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I, I, really, I really, really liked it. I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I was, I, I'd be very interested to watch the third one because I've enjoyed the first two so much now. And the third one is kind of retreading those steps of the original Robin Williams Jumanji and now, I mean, would we even have the avatars? Would The Rock and Kevin Hart even be in it? How would that be possible, bringing them out of the game? It's, it's a very interesting direction that this could go in, and I'm, I'm very excited to see what happens. If you want to make money, leave The Rock in. Just, just, <laughs> yeah. just I don't think you can not have any of the main characters in, could you? You couldn't, have, you know, yeah. you couldn't make that film without them. Uh, okay. like, yeah, if, if Kevin Hart or Karen Gillan or Jack Black didn't want to come back, you may as well just not make the film. You yeah, need definitely. those four. Yeah. Okay, so higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was No Time to Die, which scored 84% critical and 88% audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm going to guess higher. So, I'll um, 70s to lower. I'll see you saying higher for both. Yeah, I, I think critical will be lower. Uh, audience, what did you say the audience score was for No Time to Die? 88. Um, slightly higher. Okay, well, uh, you're wrong, sorry, Dave, but you're nearly oh. right. As in Jumanji, the next level did score a lower critical rating, 71% in comparison to No Time to Die's 84, but it only just missed out on 87% audience, just shy of 1% there. So, yeah, I, still I think Dave was doing a lot of leg work on that one, though. Do you know what I mean? I think <laughs> yeah, I've been writing a lot of that. reviews. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it so uh, thank you very much guys for all your arguments and thank you Ozzy for your judgments thank you to anybody who's listened to this episode we really appreciate every single one of you who takes the time out to listen to our episodes if you want to check out more Films on Trial content go on filmsontrial.co.uk and why not listen to us on any podcasting platform and leave us a lovely five star review on Apple Podcasts you can check us out on Twitter at Film Trials or Facebook, YouTube and Instagram Films on Trial so the next film has been picked out of the hat at random and it is, well, I would say it's been picked out of the hat at random. We kind of just decided that we were going to do it. So I'm going to ignore that. The next film that we're going to review is the action comedy Netflix film Red Notice. So a double dose of The Rock. Ozzy, you will have a lovely week there. So looking forward <laughs> to reviewing that one. Now Netflix's most popular film of all time. So very excited to see what our thoughts are on that. Anyway, that is it. Jumanji 3 is a hit, and we're going to be deep in those ears next week with our second dose of rock loveliness. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Goodbye. You need That's some great YouTube back. content there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, do not put that on YouTube. Please. Oh, no, please do. Mr. Bruce sucking his thumb. <laughs>